This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 38. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Graham. What's up? Chris, how was vacation, buddy? Vacation was great. I have been on very few vacations in my life and many trips. So vacation to me means you come back well-rested. Trip means you come back tired. And uh, I came back very well-rested. I did yoga like 74 times. I didn't take you for a yoga guy. I don't take me for a yoga guy, but it feels good. So I do it all the time. That's that's how drug addicts reason. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would be in a lot of physical pain all the time if I didn't do yoga. I work my ergonomics when I work are terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just had your back go out, so I'm sure it helped with that. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing. Yeah, my back still is not 100% yet, so I was doing a lot of yoga from the drive up the vacation. You know what's interesting is like, you know, I went to E3, which is a gaming convention uh, about a month or so ago, and the big thing these days is like twitch.com streaming, all that stuff, and a lot of the streamers support these really expensive gaming chair companies. And so I got to sit in some of these really expensive gaming chairs that you see at these conventions. And I know they have the equivalent in a recording as well. But for some reason, it just didn't click in my head that like, hey, if you're going to spend like eight to 10 hours a day in the same damn chair, <laughs> why are you going to sit in a $100 like Walmart chair? I'm going to be the first to admit, I still have in my control room, the same chair I bought in 2009 from Walmart for $100. I still have, it's like peeling apart, crusty as fuck. It's awful, but I still sit in it. And I can't believe that I am too cheap to buy a new chair, even though it's so damn important. What kind of chair do you sit in? Because you're the one with back problems. My chair isn't terrible. It, I don't even know what kind it is, but I think it was like 200 bucks or something. I feel like as much as we sit in our chairs, Chris, this should be something where I'm calling us out on this right now. Yeah. We should be valuing our lower back health by getting chairs that aren't $200, that aren't $100. We should be spending them a minimum of $1,000 on our chairs. What do you think? I have thought about buying one of those, what is it, Aeon or? Like I said, there's, there's like gaming ones and then there's like recording ones. Every niche has a high-end chair. They all do the same damn thing, basically. Just one looks stupider than the other. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the most important thing is having a chair that doesn't smell like fart. So yeah. I like to have a mesh chair that the farts can cleanly pass through. Yeah, because what was your <laughs> Fortnite username? Uh, stink farts. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyways, I'm on PUBG a lot too, guys. Chris Grams. No <laughs> spaces. Chris Grams. <laughs> we're, we're falling apart as a podcast. Well, all that to say, uh, we're sponsored by Razor Gaming Chairs. So you can... <laughs> We are? That's great. No, God, no, that's so stupid. Okay, so that's not anything about today's episode that just popped in my head, and now I'm going to go spend $1,000 on a chair. I'm going to make you spend $1,000 on a chair too, Chris. I'm open to it. I'm going to send you some links. I'm down with that. I am very seriously considering converting the mastering studio to a standing mastering studio. Well, I would never do that unless it was a switchable where I could do standing or that's seat. The sitting. That's yep. the plan. That's the plan. So for your sitting situation, you still need a thousand dollar chair. We're going to find together, we're going to find a thousand dollar chair and we're going to announce on the podcast, which chair we chose. Sounds good. To me. I'm committing us to this right now. Will you buy it for me? No, 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 no. This is out of your money. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> it's a tax write-off though. That's true. Anyways. So today's episode is not about sitting or back health. Chris, what is today's episode about? Well, on vacation, I was thinking a lot about this phrase that I love. The phrase is single points of failure. And a single point of failure is anything where there's a bottleneck in your process or whatever you're doing. You know, if you are rock climbing up a mountain, your rope is a single point of failure. If the rope breaks, you're screwed. Yeah. And, you know, for us in the audio world, um, we're very familiar with this single point of failure idea. Any audio engineer worth his salt has heard the phrase, you are only as strong as the weakest point in your signal chain. And what that basically means is if you have a $10,000 mic, a $10,000 preamp, a $10,000 compressor, and a $4.75 mic cable, or you're mixing on Beats headphones or you know what, whatever it is, you're only as strong as the weakest piece of gear that you're using. And that is such an intense thing because it can be applied to so much more than gear. 
You might have everything you need to be successful except for one skill, one character trait, one discipline, one technical issue. You know, there are so many different things where you can have the, the total package, but if you're missing that one piece, it doesn't matter. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think you've set this up well. I just think that it's very difficult to be trying to build a business, to try to learn all these things and still maintain the self-awareness to know which of these one single points of failure are. Because you can't think about this all the time. Yeah. You could be working so hard on the marketing aspect or the audio skill portion of this and then completely be neglecting the actual weakest point you have. And this is game changing if you can find what your true weakest point of failure is in your business and start to work on that one thing. Yeah. So we didn't even talk about this when we were planning out this episode, but I would say the first one that we have to talk about your single point of failure that can ruin your entire career and your life. Even if you have every other ingredient that you need to be successful is not being based in reality. If you love to lie to yourself and tell yourself that reality is different than it actually is, nothing matters. What do you mean? Well, when you're not focused on reality, when you're not as uh, one of my favorite authors, Dr. Henry Cloud says, when you can't eat reality for breakfast without getting sick, you're never going to improve. <laughs> it's a good quote. Yeah. You're never going to figure out where your blind spot is. You're never going to have the guts to take a real look at your life and recognize that you have a single point of failure. So that's the prerequisite of this episode is you have to be able to eat reality for breakfast and not throw it all up. Yeah. And us as musicians, which is what we are ultimately, as musicians, we sort of have a reputation for not wanting to embrace reality. And man, there are just so many times throughout history, you know, even recent history in our country where people denied what was reality. They didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to ignore it. Earth is flat. Yeah. And they paid the price. So that's the big thing. So to bring this together, you probably have a single point of failure in your career. You might have something that's preventing you from being successful in spite of having everything else that you need. And the first ability that you need to have is the ability to see those blind spots. You have to be based in reality. And man, dude, like I don't want this to sound condescending. I'm preaching it myself. I have blind spots. Me too. For sure. There are things in my career, there are things in my marriage for me as a father where I have blind spots and I don't recognize, oh my gosh, why have I been doing it that way? Or why have I been doing that? Well, if you knew that, then they wouldn't be blind spots. And for those of you who don't think you have blind spots, you do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Not thinking you have blind spots is the ultimate blind spot. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. We all have blind spots. And if your blind spot is that you think you don't have blind spots, just turn off the podcast, go to a counseling center and sign up for a weekly meetings with your counselor because you need to work through that. Or just go get a job at McDonald's. Yeah. Or just don't do audio for a living. Okay, so we have four different categories. You kind of mentioned them a second ago. Yeah. Uh, four different categories of areas that you could have potential single points of failure. You could have more than one of these that you really do struggle with. So these are just some ideas. Uh, this is another kind of an advice buffet, but really we want you to take one of these and focus on it one at a time. But we have four areas. The first is technical points of failure. The second is points of failure related to discipline, self-discipline. The third will be points of failure related to your character as a human being. And then the fourth is points of failure related to your skills. So let's move into the first one. Now let's talk about technical points of failure. Uh, the first one, cue the gear slut. Insert gear slut here. This is your signal chain. Single point of failure number one. This is the most obvious. We put this first because everyone can grasp it. And if you've been listening to this episode so far, you're not quite understanding what the hell we're talking about. Signal chain. Chris, you already talked about this a little bit, but just talk about this a little bit more just to kind of solidify what we mean by a single point of failure. Yeah. So let's say you have built up your skills as a producer and you are an in-demand pop producer. You've had a lot of semi-successful records. You've upgraded everything in your studio. You've got great monitors. You've got a great room. You've even got some great outboard gear, but you're still using the $179 condenser mic that you bought at Guitar Center when you were 17 years old for the, your main vocals. Yes. That is a single point of failure. I don't want to call out any brand names here. You've already been gear slotted like every episode that has ever been on this podcast. So you might as well name them. Okay. So let's say you've got like a Samson microphone. You know, you've got, uh, what's a really terrible microphone? 
Um, Neumann. I'm just kidding. I kid. I kid. <laughs> if you have a really, really awful, you know, let's say you're still using uh, Radio Shack mic and everything else you've got is worth $10,000, probably not going to work out great for you. No, 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 no. Might. Probably not. Yeah, but that's an easy one to grasp. Hopefully you all understand, you know, the technical aspects. We're talking about signal chain. You understand that from the source to the digital world, every single aspect in that chain is equally important. And you're only as as strong as the weakest link in that. But let's now move uh, out of that. And we're still in the technical aspects of things. But let's talk about room and acoustics now. Your room and your acoustics, we don't talk about this much on the podcast. This is such an important point and such a single point of failure for so many people because no one really, they'll buy these expensive monitors. They'll buy, you know, great gear. They'll, you know, get their skills to a point and then they'll hit a ceiling on what they can do. And a lot of times they're trying to work in the worst possible environment. And that is the the single thing that is holding them back from excelling their skills. Yeah. So there was the first studio I worked in, love that place, but they were a good example of this. They had, at the time, they had the Mackie HRA-24s. Gear slut. Oh, my gosh. Gear oh, slut. But these Gearslut were alert. great monitors in like 2001. These were really, really popular, except one of them was in the corner of the control room, and the other was in the middle of the control room. What? So, like, the one on the right that was in the corner sounded weird because it was in a corner, so it was all bassy and, yeah. and strange. So that's a good example. You know, it's not like gear or... Any of that stuff. That's not the secret to success. At least we don't believe it is. But you're going to have a hard time making good art if, say, there's an air conditioning vent right above your mixing space. And every time the snare drum hits, there's like chamber reverb <laughs> coming out of, you know. Yeah, unless like, the vibe's cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> but let's let's talk about what, I mean, really quick, we didn't really plan on this, but what would you do if you have a less than ideal room? Especially for those that are listening that are stuck in a flat somewhere in the UK or apartment here in the US. Same damn thing, by the way. And you don't really have money to put towards, you know, building out a nice room or you don't want to waste money on a, a building you don't own. What is the solution to this room and acoustics uh, single point of failure? I have a friend. I've mastered tons of projects with this guy and love this guy. He... I'm not going to say who he is, but he confessed to me one time that his mixes, that he had been sending me projects for years that he mixed on his kitchen table with a pair of Bayer Dynamic headphones. I told you never to tell anybody that, Chris. That's my <laughs> it's, secret. It's your secret. And like, I couldn't believe it because I was like, wow, more power to you because your mixes are amazing, but you're just using the headphone out on your MacBook yeah. and a pretty nice pair of headphones. So I would say, man, consider headphones. That's a great way. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but that's my solution for anyone who has a horrible mixing environment. Just get some headphones. It takes the room out of it. It is not ideal, but it is way better than working out of a shitty room. Yeah. So Andrew Sheps, you know, world famous audio engineer has recently kind of quote unquote come out of the closet that he mixes all the time on headphones on a laptop while he's like flying in airplanes and stuff like that. So if you do have a terrible room, I would say a terrible room is one that actually reverberates, that audibly reverberates. Well, not only that, but there's rooms with all sorts of bass response issues where there's just too much. I mean, I, I mixed out of a room for a while that had such a, a little bump around 130 hertz that it completely wrecked my ability to mix low end. Yes, and I, I think that's the biggest issue. But there's no audible reverb in that room, just to clarify. it was It's very much a frequency issue. Well, at the risk of going down a rabbit hole here, I would say that most of the time, if you have room issues, they're probably bass issues. Yeah. And to work on your headphone mixing or mastering skills is nice because headphones don't have consistency issues with bass. In, in a normal room environment, you could lean your head back eight inches while mixing and the frequency response is totally different. Yep, that's 100%. But the, the thing, what you said with the reverb being the thing, the reverb's easy to get rid of. You could just put blankets up everywhere and that gets rid of the reverb, but it doesn't fix the EQ or the room issues You know, with the low end. That's the main benefit of going with headphones is it completely takes that out. Our point is that if you do have one of these weird issues in your room and all of your mixes are missing everything under 200 hertz, doesn't matter how good you are. That's true. Single point of failure. Yeah, it's a single point of failure. So let's move on to the next one here. Uh, let's talk about workflow related to single points of failure. So I know a lot of you are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm not a fan of Pro Tools. I'm using Pro Tools right now. <laughs> How know. dare you insult me and my love for Pro Tools? It's the Walmart of DAWs. How dare? Where do you get off Mr. Studio One? <laughs> <laughs> I don't use Studio One. You did for years. No, I didn't. Yeah. I used Digital Performer. 
Oh, Ugh. my bad. Don't tell okay. anybody. That's I, so much better. Yeah. I picked the wrong horse in that race, man. Yeah, yeah. I started using Digital Performer in 02. What are you on now? Uh, if I'm using multi-track, which I never am because I'm a mastering engineer, I use Logic. I love Logic. What are you on right now? Logic. Okay. So, yeah, so here's the thing. Workflow. If you have one of these uh, notorious Pro Tools rigs, and every time you have a band over, you have to say, oh, wait, hold on a minute, because Pro Tools crashed, that's a workflow issue. And there was a funny, super funny sketch in the show Atlanta where they're trying to record at a studio and the guy's using, I think it was Pro Tools, and it kept crashing. And the artists in the room were losing it. They were getting so <laughs> angry. They thought it was the engineer's fault. And it's funny. It really was. He chose an undependable DAW. So if you've got a workflow issue that you're always losing data or you're, you, know, you do work and there's no auto save feature or it just crashes for absolutely no friggin' reason like Pro Tools does every day, Brian. It doesn't, but I'm going to refute this in a second, but keep talking. <laughs> That's a workflow issue and it might keep you from being successful. It might keep your clients from coming back or it might get you beat up like the guy in Atlanta. And you do have some truth to this. If you can't get your computer to run your DAW successfully and dependably, it's going to cause issues in your sessions that you're running. And those issues in the sessions can cause frustrations and it can damage relationships. So you're singling out Pro Tools here. I have had my fair issues with Pro Tools, I'll admit it. But I will say since moving to Mac in 2014, I have had very, very, very few issues with my DAW um, to the point where it's a non-issue now. Good. So it's one of those things that uh, if you find a a version of Pro Tools that you like that works well on your computer, do not upgrade it. <laughs> you you start to learn all of those little things that will crash it or all those little things and you start to like, you know how to get around it all. Now that sounds stupid, but that's just the reality of anyone that's ever worked in Pro Tools, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you've worked with it for years. Anyone that doesn't work in Pro Tools anymore is just sighing and hoping that everybody else will catch on. And we're going to talk about this in a second, the hotkeys conversation with related to DAWs. But like I got to the point where I do not even think about what I do anymore in Pro Tools. I just want things to happen and my body does it. It's muscle memory. It's 100% yeah. muscle memory. I do not want to go through the pains of trying to relearn hotkeys in another DAW. I just refuse to do that. And there's no frustration big enough to make me want to make that change in Pro Tools. So that's my where I stand on that. But let's talk about hotkeys now and how important that is. The hotkeys thing is really interesting because you make a certain amount of dollars per hour. In order to keep your business open, you, there is a different number of dollars per hour that you have to exceed. If you don't make more than your, uh, let's call it your death rate, if you don't make more than your death rate, your minimum dollars per hour, you will go out of business. If it's something as simple as hotkeys, hotkeys is one of those things where depending on the type of work you're doing, you know, it can dramatically improve your speed. If you can improve your speed, you can accomplish more in an hour. If you can accomplish more in an hour, you can make more per hour. Depending on your pay structure, if you're doing per song or per hour. So that's, that's my little caveat there. Yeah. I'm assuming that you guys are making the jump eventually to per project pricing. Yep. I support per project in a lot of situations, not all, but let's not, yeah. this is a completely different conversation. Move on. Yeah. So something like that. So something like hotkeys that makes you so much more efficient can be a life changer. So case in point, when the first studio I worked in, this would be like in the year 2001, we would record on ADATs and 48K. We would then do our mix through, uh, you know, Yamaha O2R, which was awful. Wow, this is some gear slut alert for you. How's that, how's that taste? So many gear sluts. I apologize, guys. And then we would bounce down into a Macintosh computer, and then it would take about 40 minutes to convert the 48K audio file to a 44.1. That was a single point of failure. So I was ridiculously inefficient. I made below the death rate because I had this one issue that slowed me down. And that is a really extreme example I don't think anyone's waited 40 minutes for a song to be converted to 44.1 in, in quite some time. But it's just one of these things. If you have to make more than your death rate, and if you don't, you die. That's it. Yep. So when we talk about workflow in general, both of these conversations are around speeding up your day-to-day -day and keeping you from hitting those roadblocks that either piss off your clients or that bring your dollars per hour down to the point where you can't sustain yourself as a business owner. Yeah. And it might've been one of these things where if you'd been a little faster, you made a little bit more money, you would have survived long enough where you finally hit your stride and you finally had a good number of clients that were supporting you. So yeah. Yep. So let's move on to the uh, last area of our technical single points of failure. And that is your website. We talked about websites 
plenty in the past. There's more than enough content on our podcast uh, history that covers this website conversation in detail. But many, many, many of your businesses will depend on your website to bring in leads, to bring in work, or to at least solidify you as a legitimate producer. And so not every business, I know every one of you could probably point at somebody who doesn't have a website and does this full time. They are the exception to the rule. Uh, If you are trying to break into the music world today, you have to have a website and that can be a single point of failure. Yeah. And not only that, but your website has multiple single points of failure that can render it useless. So for those of you who have a website right now and you're like, well, great, my website does nothing. I get no quote requests through it or I get no work through it, no paid projects through it. Well, there could be single points of failure on your website too. So all of these things we talk about today have their own single points of failure. So with your website, I I talk about something called KPIs, key performance indicators. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too far, but I do want to let you know about them so you can kind of assess your own website. So I've talked about sales funnels in the past, but the gist of it is this. For every 100 people that come to your website, how many of them take the next action that you want them to take? Now, on my website, I'm asking for them to fill out the quote request form. That is my next step. And about 5% of people will do that. Of the people that fill out that quote request form, what percentage of those will actually become paid projects? Now, for me, that's about 25%. So for every 100 people that come to my website, I will get about one paid project on average. Now, everyone's site's going to be different. Everyone's next step they're asking for the people to take on their website will be different. In Chris's example, he asks for uh, a test master. He's asking to do a test master for the artist. So all the numbers are going to look different. But at the end of the day, what you need to understand is that if you double any of the numbers as far as the conversion rates, so if for every 100 people that come to my site, if I double that from five to 10, well, I've just doubled my income for the month Yep. because I've doubled my conversion rate. Or for every, let's just say 100 people that fill out my quote request form, I convert 25% of those. Well, if I double that to 50%, I've just doubled my income. So that's just some small thing. I've breezed over this. There's so much more on this one conversation that we may need to have an episode about. It's so hard to follow this without visual stuff to go with it. But the gist of it is this, there are single points of failure on your website. And if your website is not working, there could be one or more of those issues that you're having. Exactly. So one of the first issues your website could have, and I'm just going to touch on this and we're going to move on to the next section here, um, is photography. This is something we see a lot where someone says, hey, check out my website for my recording studio. And they've got weird stuff like close-ups of their like mouse that they spent like $20 on. Yeah, even an artistic shot of their microphone. You know, like the, the close-up that's like one-third of the microphone with a blurry background, <laughs> and it's like this cool photography. But you're like, what the fuck does this tell me? What does this tell me as a customer? Why do I care about the close-up of your $400 microphone? That's a great point. I, I wasn't sure where you're going with there. Yeah, if it's a super, don't show off that you have cheap gear. Yeah, not only that, even if it's expensive gear, don't show your gear up. No one gives a shit about your gear. I'm sorry, I'm going to go in a soapbox here. Do it. Before you put any photography up on your website, look at it from your client's perspective. It should show clean, comfortable spaces. It should show gear for them to use. They don't care about your gear as far as your compressors and microphones. They care about the gear they have access to in the studio. There's a lot different photography when you're thinking about it from their point of view than your point of view, unless unless your client base is other producers. If you have a studio space and you're trying to rent it out to other producers, then you can have all the gear shit you want. But that's just one quick mindset shift you need to have before you're putting any photography up on your website. I'm standing up. I'm standing up. I'm leaning over into the microphone. You're literally standing up right now. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. Oh my gosh. Yes. Amen to that. So yeah, I'm not going to repeat anything you said. If, if you need a refresher, just rewind the podcast and listen to what Brian just said again. Yeah. So that's it for technical single points of failure. There's so many more than this, but we can only touch on so many in a, you know, hopefully one hour or less podcast episode. <laughs> But let's move on to the second of the single points of failure, the categories we talked about, and that is self-discipline or discipline in general. Big one. This is one that will absolutely wreck you. You know, some of these things like workflow, they'll slow you down, but you can still limp along. But without discipline, some of the things we're going to talk about today, you're fucked. You're fucked. There's no other way to say it. I don't use the F word that much, maybe once every few episodes, but I'll use it a third time here. You're fucked if you don't get this part down. So Chris, let's talk about the discipline discussion here. Yeah. Well, the first thing here is the discipline to educate yourself. And that's really the point of this whole podcast. That's the thing Brian and I are the most passionate about, this dedication to improving oneself. Yeah. And I think that most listeners are doing that because they're listening to a self-improvement podcast. So that's probably not a single point of failure for most people, although it could be. It could be. I would actually put 
in this, not just education, but irrelevant education? Yes, I was thinking that. So here's the story of Chris Graham as far as like my first year of marriage. I got married, it's 11 years ago, 12 years ago, and I'm running a production business out of the basement of our home. It's a very nice basement. We were very lucky to have the house that we did. And I would come up from work. Me and my wife would hang out and we would pop, believe it or not, we would pop in a DVD from Blockbuster. <laughs> RIP. I would sit on my laptop and I would study like schematics for like amplifiers and stuff. I'm trying to improve myself while I'm kind of having like special date time with my wife. That's stupid. Like That's stupid. That was so stupid. I, I was focusing on the wrong education and it was the reason I was unsuccessful for a long time. For those who don't understand why that would be considered a relevant education, explain it to them, please. Well, if you are using the best part of your mind, the best energy that you have and the most valuable time in your day to learn stuff that doesn't move the needle, you know, like I was obsessed with like, I want to figure out which capacitors in a 1965 Fender Princeton reverb really affect the tone. Oh my God. That might be the longest gear set alert <laughs> that we've ever had. It's still going. It's, it's still going. It's still going. So like I would focus on these things when I was like, you know what would have really helped you grow your business, Chris? Marketing, sales, people wow. skills, being nice to your clients, these types of things. Yeah. And they didn't have this episode for, for you to listen to back then. They didn't. So I'm going to build a time machine and send it back in time to Chris Graham. But the big thing here is that the most important part of self-improvement is finding your lowest hanging fruit is figuring out what's the most important thing that I need to fix today. And if you're bad at education, meaning that you do self-educate, but you self-educate on stupid stuff and you waste your time, that's like the saddest thing in the world. Because man, if you had just read How to Win Friends and Influence People instead of Harry Potter. <laughs> or a better example would be reading How to Win Friends and Influence People instead of taking another music production course. Or instead of reading another blog article, watching another YouTube video about, you know, that compressor that you really want to use and you're looking up 30 reviews for it to see if you need to spend that $40 for the, the no, you're wasting, I'm not going to get into this, the soapbox, but you're wasting more time researching a plugin that doesn't matter than you are educating yourself on a point that really does matter in your life. And I really think that's kind of the gist of this entire episode is yeah. focusing on the education that matters and getting rid of the shit that doesn't matter. And so when we talk about discipline, if you do not have the discipline to do that, that is in and of itself a single point of failure in your business and potentially life. Bingo. The next thing under the discipline category here is an absolute single point of failure. If you do not do this well, you will not be successful. End of story. It's the discipline to rest well. Yeah. Uh, the, the kind of the classic cliche uh, that you run into with people that are like 19, 20, 21 years old is they got mad FOMO, fear of missing out. They don't take a day off. It is always cranked up to 11 the whole time. Yeah, the Gary V hustle, hustle, hustle mentality. Yeah, they're just absolutely obsessed with the next thing. And it might not be work-related. It might be it's completely true. like, I want to go out one more time or I need to you know watch a movie with my friends, even though I only slept for four hours last night, not because I was busy with like work or school or something, but because I didn't say no to anything and rest, man, of all the things I've ever learned that have helped me be more productive, learning how to rest better, my afternoon nap, uh, the 10 minute nap I take almost every single day, those types of skills are a multiplier. And if you only sleep five hours a night because you stay up till four playing video games, yep. And you are running in a deficit. You can't sustain that. If you are future you's worst enemy, you won't be successful. Yeah. And I think this kind of goes in parallel with a point we don't have in our outline. And that is a completely different discipline, but one that goes perfectly with this. You kind of touched on it is the discipline to say no. The discipline to say no is such, such a difficult one. And it ties you know, directly to a lot of different areas. It's actually probably its own discipline here uh, if you want to kind of touch on that a little bit. But for right now, I'm going to touch on it related to, to, to rest, the discipline to say no to your friends when you know, you're trying to, they're trying to get you to go out and it's not really doing anything good other than I'm not going to miss being in that one Instagram story. I'm not going to miss you know, seeing that one friend I haven't seen in a while. We're not saying to be totally antisocial. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying is related to rest when it comes to resting, 
you have to have the discipline to say no to things. And this also means saying no to work sometimes. I know people that will destroy themselves working nonstop because they have tons and tons and tons and tons of work coming through, but they don't have the discipline to say no and turn down work and it ends up burning themselves out or it ends up making their work suffer because they're trying to do too much damn work without any rest involved at all. Absolutely. So when I was in high school, if you guys haven't gathered, I was not a big fan of school, huge fan of education, crazy a fan of education as you can be, but not a fan. I was not a fan of school. There was one thing I learned in high school that blew my mind. I took an economics class and he used a phrase called opportunity cost. Yes, that's a great one to talk about here. Opportunity cost is huge and it's the reason you need to say no. Everything that you do has an opportunity cost, something you could have done instead. And that's the point here. I could have been on a date with my wife all those years ago instead of researching signal flow on some stupid esoteric amp and I would have been happier and kinder to my clients. I would have, my wife would have been happier. It would, it would have been such a better investment for everything for me yeah. than this. And I didn't recognize the opportunity cost that I was passing up in order to say yes to this. So should you go out with your friends tonight? Instead of, you know, work on the record that you're trying to do or instead of try to polish your marketing skills, your sales skills, which we'll get into shortly, maybe. It 100% depends. Yeah, but you need to recognize that when you go out or you do something, that there's something else that you can't do as a result of that. Yep. And that's why it's so important to figure out what the lowest hanging fruit in your self-improvement journey is. And this is why these two things are tied together, the discipline to say no and the discipline to rest. Those two are tied together, but they're also two separate things because the discipline to say no to hanging out with friends because you need to be putting it towards your business. That's one thing, but there's also the discipline to rest, go on vacation, take time off. Yes, you may be missing a little bit of work on the short term, but on the back end, you're coming back more refreshed and you're going to be able to sustain yourself longer because remember, we're trying to maybe retire doing this yeah. and you're not going to make it to retirement if you burn yourself out. Absolutely. So this next one, we'll be real quick about this, is the discipline to track data. Well, that's nerdy. What do you mean by that, Chris? Man, if you don't like have your books balanced, if you're not using accounting software, if you're not using like a C, we've talked about it a million times, a CRM to track your relationships and your communication with your customers, if you're not putting the effort in to figure out what reality is, if you want to know what reality is, you need to track data, period. That's true. It's such a good picture of, of the health of your business the velocity of your business and where your business is going. And if you fail to do this, you're going to be basically trying to fly in the dark. It's not going to go well. Exactly. So cool. Let's move on. So the final thing in disciplines here is related to vices. What do we mean by that, Chris? Vices are things that the devil made you do. (laughs) (laughs) There are things that aren't good for you that you enjoy doing. Yeah, you have the angel on your shoulder and you have the devil on your shoulder. And when you listen to the devil, you consume vices and then you go to hell. Is that right, Chris? <laughs> Something like that. Like if, if, if your vice is that every weekend you drink an entire bottle of Maker's Mark by yourself, that is going to affect your career in a probably not so positive way. That's true. And not just your career, but we're talking about life here. Yeah. For a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing is if you consume um, an entire package of Oreos, every day. Or this is a little more common and maybe closer to home for some people. If you drink two, two liters of any kind of pop, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew for most people, if you consume a ridiculous amount of monster energy drink, that is not going to bode well for your career. That's a vice. And so it could be with food. It could be with, you know, high sugary things. It could be with drugs and alcohol. There's a number of things that this relates to, but the discipline to either keep these things in moderation, depending on what these things are, or completely eliminating and avoiding them in your life. Uh, But hands down, a vice can definitely be a single point of failure in anyone's career or life. Yeah, you might be in a situation. I'm I'm sure there's probably, you know, there's a lot of people listening to the podcast now. There's probably at least one person listening who your choice might be between being successful or messing around with your vice. That might be, you know, Oreos or success. That might be liquor or success. That might be your ex-girlfriend or success. Like fill, <laughs> fill in the blank. There are all these things that you can let into your life that are toxic that might wreck the whole thing. You could have every ingredient that you need to fulfill your dreams and you could mess it up 
with one single point of failure and vice probably the most common opioids it could be video games anything that is at unhealthy levels really yeah the dosage makes the poison that's true all right so let's move on to the third category of single points of failure and that is single points of failure related to your character your character and this one is probably going to have the most blind spots for everyone because this is the, this is the hardest part to really take a look at yourself and and at least either admit or take notice of these sorts of uh, shortcomings that you have. So when we talk about blind spots, I think there's going to be a lot here for a lot of people. And the first one is, is your single point of failure related to your reputation? For a lot of people, that's the truth. You may have the entire package. You have the skills and abilities. You are a master marketer. You're incredible at mixing and mastering. You've dominated a niche in some way, shape, or form, but you cannot find work because your reputation is shit. And I've seen this play out for multiple people in my own niche, and it sucks for them. It really does because it's hard to come back from this, but this is a single point of failure. And if you're at this point, what do you do, Chris? What do you do if, if your reputation is your single point of failure? Well, you get an email account from Hotmail and you change your artist name to like DJ Joe. <laughs> what? And you just totally rebrand, you know? That, that's the problem with, with reputation. As soon as you have a reputation as a liar, people will always consider, well, he seems to be doing a lot better. He doesn't seem like he's a liar anymore, but how can I trust him that he's not a liar anymore? Yep. So I've heard the phrase, you know, it takes an entire lifetime to build your reputation, it takes one bad decision to ruin your reputation. So if you've already ruined your reputation, you have a long and difficult road ahead of you to build that back. It involves making yourself vulnerable by apologizing being okay with being put down by others because you've wronged them in the past, but putting it the ball in their court and trying to take steps to better the situation with the relationships and bridges that you've burned, that's really the only way to do this. And you could try to build a whole new life, move to a new city, all that stuff, but your reputation will almost always catch up with you. And the only way to get past this is to better yourself and to try to repair those burned bridges that you've had. I don't think there's uh, much else you can do. Chris, do you have anything else to add? So if you've damaged your reputation, if there are people talking behind your back about you because you've earned it, that might not be your single point of failure. Your single point of failure might be your pride. Hmm. It might be your ego. It might be that you are too arrogant, that you are unwilling to undo the damage, to have the guts to look someone in the eye and said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You were right. I'm working on it. It won't happen again. Yeah. That pride, that ego that compulsion to pretend that you are better than you are is pretty difficult to run a business. And I would say, hands down, that the single largest thing that's correlated with my own sort of improvement slash, you know, increased success has been the lessening of my own pride. I still got a lot of it, man. I still want to lie to myself and tell myself I'm better than I am. But as I beat that beast into submission... I seem to find other lower hanging fruits that I can use to self-improve and to grow my business. Yeah, I just want to have a blind spot alert here. If you are looking at this reputation thing and you're saying, my reputation is fine. I just can't get rid of all my haters. <laughs> <laughs> if you have used the phrase haters, you're referred to your haters, you have haters, it's probably a good sign that you have a bad reputation and you just don't realize it. And this is a blind spot for you. I don't know if I've ever really seen someone with quote unquote haters who didn't deserve it in some way, shape or form by their bad reputation. There's probably examples that I'm missing. There's probably instances where it's not the case, but I would say you probably want to check yourself uh, if that's the case for you, but let's move on here. Uh, let's move to laziness. This is a character trait that comes in many different shapes and sizes but laziness is definitely a single point of failure for any entrepreneur who is trying to make a full-time go with any business. Yeah. Laziness won't get the job done, will it, Chris? <laughs> no, it won't. But here's the thing. In my opinion, laziness is very rarely the cause of itself. Laziness is usually a symptom of another issue. That's true, actually. I, I agree with that. It might be terrible nutritional and dietary decisions. You just feel, you don't have energy. You just feel lazy all the time because your energy levels are low because you eat terribly. Yeah. It might be that you, you know, you drink two, two liters of Mountain Dew every day and it's killing you on your insides. That's going to make you lazy, man. Yep. And so that doesn't change the fact that the laziness is still a single point of failure, but 
you know, when it comes to solving this issue, you may be looking at the symptom, not the, the root cause. So it's very, very important that you take a look at what could be causing this laziness. It could be that you, uh, you know, you work 80 hours a week at a day job you hate and it sucks your soul away. And when you, when it comes time to building your business, you don't have the energy to do it. It's not necessarily a lazy thing. It's just that you maybe need to cut down hours, move to a new job. There's a, there's solutions to every problem. It's just whether or not you're willing to take those steps necessary to solve that problem. Totally. Well, this next one is a big one, huge one. Um, and this sort of kind of came to me as you were talking previously about how many people that come to your website, sign up for your website. You said, you know, out of every hundred people that come to your website, five of them will sign up for a quote. I know that a lot of people listening to this podcast probably thought to themselves, what? 5%? What a loser. Oh my gosh. He's utterly failing. <laughs> no, he's not, man. So here's the thing, your fear of failure, that anyone would interact with you and say, no, thanks. You can't run a successful business that way. A lot of our advice is, you know, take what you want. It's an advice buffet, but man, the fear of failure thing, if you're not okay with someone saying no, thanks to you, you have absolutely no chance to be successful at this or any other career. It is enormous. You need to be comfortable with someone telling you no, or "Ah, it's not for me. Or, eh, we're going to go with the other guy. You need to be able to handle that. And if you can't, you're never going to grow a business. I agree with that 100%. As a matter of fact, one of the assignments I give my students uh, during the Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp in uh, my course is they have to acquire a certain amount of rejections. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and That's it's so to teach cool. that the rejections are a good thing. They are a good thing because you know a lot of times you get a certain amount of rejections that's going to equate to at least one paid project. And if you look at it from that point of view, it's a much easier pill to swallow when you reframe it like that. Yeah. Well, I love the scene in the latest Star Wars movie where, spoiler alert, where Yoda and Luke are hanging out and Yoda says something along the lines of like, failure, the greatest teacher is. You know, like he, <laughs> he tells Luke like, well, what you did was you tried to remove failure and that was the greatest teacher. And that's why stuff's not going so well. Yeah. I think the fear of failure is an easy one to talk about and it's an easy one to even take note of in your life, but it's probably one of the hardest ones to get around because there is no easy solution to this. It is a long and grueling path to get past the fear of failure, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Yeah. So one of the things you could do, um, just an idea here, is fear of failure locally is much different than fear of failure globally. What does that mean? Well, to get rejected by five bands from your city is pretty intense. To get rejected by five bands that don't live in your city is a little different. It's a little easier to take. And so I would say if you are primarily local, and I think most of us are, that trying to get out of that comfort zone, go with one city over where no one knows you and try to win a client that way. It's a very, very different experience. And it's a very, very different psychological experience when you are selling to a stranger than when you were selling to someone that knows all these people that know you and that it, word's going to get around that I was going to hire Bob, but I decided not to because I think Bob sucks. Like that's, that's intense. So just recognize that your fear of failure might just be a local issue. And if you get out of your comfort zone, if you go take a trip to another city or, you know, move or whatever, that fear of failure is going to manifest itself a little differently. Yep. So let's move on to our next point in single points of failure related to your character. And that is your personality. Do you have an abrasive personality? Because this is one that I see a lot in the, the producer world. The most common type of personality is the extremely abrasive, my way or the highway type personality. And I know it's because that's the way I was. That's the way Chris was. That's the way a lot of people I know are. And while it can be done in a funny way, it can be done in a way that isn't really that abrasive. There is a slippery slope there. And I think that if you are an asshole to your clients, you're going to struggle. It's going to be a single point of failure uh, and you can lose a lot of clients that way. There's a much better way to approach this than that. I'm a funny asshole type attitude that producers tend to have. I'm preaching to myself from four years ago or five years ago when I was producing bands and I was the asshole and I was the one always cracking jokes at them trying to keep it lighthearted. But at the same time, there was a lot of truth behind the things I said. And I was an asshole and that was the truth of it. And, you know, some bands came back to me because they could hang with that and it was fine. But a lot of clients did not come back to me. And I think a lot of it was because of my abrasive uh, personality. So this is definitely a single point of failure for many, many, many of you out there. 
Anything you want to add to this, Chris? Yeah, you know, when I think about people that I know that are successful, almost all of them, sort of my initial reaction is, man, I love that guy. He's awesome. I can't think of very many people that I would say, wow, so successful, but such an asshole. You know? (laughs) There's a couple. There are a couple. And this sort of being able to love people well, to treat them the way you want to be treated, goes an awful long way. You can be pretty bad at your job in audio, but have great people skills and be pretty successful. So one other piece to this, abrasiveness just doesn't mean in the studio with clients. If all you do is post about the political party that you hate and how everybody (laughs) that voted for them is an idiot. Yeah. Oh my God. I've I've blocked so many people because of that sort of stance. Now I'm not going to talk about my political views here, but whether I support or oppose whatever someone says, if, if they say this type of thing, I believe this. And if you don't believe this, you're an asshole and you should unfollow me. Even if I believe that I'm going to unfollow you because you're a dick, you're an abrasive dick. And I've seen some, not a lot, but I've seen some producers. This is not just political stuff, but just in general, they have an abrasive attitude, a just an extremist personality on social media. And you know, that's just kind of where social media is right now, but don't fall into that trap. Yeah. Don't fall into the, I need to share my opinion with everyone in the world trap. Cause that really doesn't do much of anything. You're not going to change someone's mind. You're not going to win any clients that way. That's for damn sure. Yeah. All you're going to do is make yourself look like a jackass. Well, and this is probably the one that's the most buffet-y <laughs> of our options here. You could still be successful and be a negative jerk on social media, but you might not be able to have both. If someone sees you constantly posting about how much you hate XYZ political candidate or how much you hate XYZ political issue, they might think to themselves, oh gosh, I just don't want to be around that. That's how I am. I don't want to hang out with people that are just constantly bitching about stuff. Yeah. So that brings us actually perfectly into our next character trait that could be definitely a weakest link for you. And that is if you're a constantly negative person, uh, this is, you know, this goes hand in hand, what we just talked about, but the type of person, well, hold on, let me pause you right there. There are people listening right now that are thinking that's dumb. That doesn't matter. That's not a thing. What? That negativity is one of these single points of failure. Oh God. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I just want to pause to agree with you that everything I've ever learned points to the fact that this negativity isn't a fringe issue that could wreck you. It is one of the most intense issues that almost certainly will. Yeah. If you're unsure of if you're this person or not, go ask your friends. Do you think I'm negative? I have been told myself, I used to be so negative and I would be called out by my friends because I have good friends that will call me out on this kind of bullshit. It's great to have friends like that. They didn't call out in a mean way or in a negative way. It was in a way that's like, hey, I would love to see you not bitch so much. But at the end of the day, like, if you were constantly negative, if you're constantly bitching about things, if you're constantly complaining, that's not an attractive quality. People don't want to be around you. People don't want to refer work to you. People don't want to give you money. There's nothing good about being negative constantly. Can you name one thing that is a positive from being negative constantly, Chris? Um, no. Leave no. that silence in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to, there's nothing good to come of it. I'm guilty of this occasionally still. Like if I'm at a restaurant, I'm super hungry, aka hangry, food's taken forever, I'll bitch about it. And I think most people will in that situation, but that doesn't help the situation at all. All it does is bring the mood of the table down. And if you look at the rest of your business this way or your personal life this way, bitching doesn't help anything. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the situation. I don't really have much else to say about this because I feel like I'm being negative. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this segues into a sub-issue under negativity and that's a victim mentality. Yeah. And a victim mentality is, oh, always me. I'm the victim. Uh, It's always someone else's fault. I never take ownership. That's an issue. And it comes back to this uh, eating reality for breakfast idea. Man, you know, one of the most liberating things I think that you can adopt as an attitude is that it's always your fault. Is that in some way, shape, or form, it was your fault. And you own that, and you move on with your life, and you try to improve. Instead of trying to point the finger and place blame and figure out what they did wrong and yada, yada, yada. And man, am I preaching it myself right now. Yeah. So the victim mentality is is a big one. Um, yeah, I think if you struggle with that, if you have the self-awareness to, to notice that, which is rare, I'm, if I'm being honest, it's pretty rare. But if you are that person, you do have that victim mentality where everything's everyone else's fault, which is probably like one person right now because 
very few people will have the self-awareness to notice that. Uh, go read the book, Extreme Ownership. Uh, it's a really good book by a guy named Jocko Willink. He's an ex-Marine. Uh, I'm not gonna really talk about anything other than that. But if you struggle with taking ownership over where your life is right now, you're not happy with where you are and you want to take charge of that, go read that book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah. The last issue here under character is the character to have honest friends. What does that mean, Chris? What that means is it's really easy if you don't want to embrace reality to find a bunch of other people who think that being your friend means affirming to you your false reality. A yes man. A yes man. If you surround your people with yes men and they never ever tell you the truth, they never ever disagree with you, there's never any confrontation, that's a character flaw for you. Yeah. I mean, was it the king with the uh, invisible suit or whatever the hell exactly he pr- yeah he prances around naked because all his court tells him his suit looks wonderful yeah and the reality is he's wearing no clothes yeah you need people in your life and a lot of times these are older people to tell you when you're being an idiot yeah and man i i don't know uh what i would look like if i didn't have friends like that especially through the key you know formative years of my life you know from say uh 17 to 23 years old i had older people in my life that would tell me chris you're being a moron why are you doing that you're being an asshole. Stop it. And having the courage to have people that will tell you the truth, that will give you the tough love. If you don't have people like that in your life. That's a weak link for sure. It's a weak link. And it, if you don't have people like that in your life, it's probably because you've run from them. Ooh, because it, it is hard to get that that reality check from a friend. It's super easy to like write them off as a hater. <laughs> yep. Instead of saying, holy shit, he's probably right. I am a complainer. <laughs> I got no patience for people without the guts to have honest friends, you know? Yeah. What do you do if you don't have honest friends? You got to dump your friends. You like, you all know people. Everybody knows people that are honest. And I think just hanging out with them and honest people love to be friends with people who want them to be honest. So yeah, not hard. It's not hard to find honest people. There's the phrase, you're the average of your five closest friends. If your five closest friends refuse to have any sort of real talk with you or help you improve, it's going to be a downward spiral. So let's move on out of the character uh, stuff. That is a little more self-helpy and deep shit than most of our podcast usually is. But the reality of it, though, is the character aspects, some of these character traits we talked about, these can be some of the weakest links and they can also be some of the biggest blind spots for the average person. So I still think it's worth talking about, uh, which is why we took so long, but let's move on to the a really tangible one, probably more practical one for our final section here. And that is weak points related to your skills. Now these are easy to grasp. Uh, some of these will be duh. Some of them will be not as duh, but we still have to talk about all these. The first one is audio skills. This is the biggest duh in my book, because if you listen to this podcast and you're trying to improve your business, everything we talk about is assuming you have this down. It's assuming that you're good at what you do or whatever you're trying to do. If you don't have this down, this is, this is an easy, easy weak link. This is your weakest link. If you don't have the skills portion down, that is your weakest link. Maybe not your weakest, but it's definitely a weak link. And you're not going to have a successful studio without this. Yeah. So that's a no brainer. You have to be decent at audio for anything else we're ever going to teach you about to make any sense. And I've told this story before on the podcast. I'll tell it real quickly one more time. There's a hilarious story about a CEO of a dog food company. And he hired the best marketers in the entire world and dog food sales didn't go up. So he fired them, hired more great marketers, some of the best in the world. Sales didn't go up. Did this a few times and he finally had a meeting with his team screaming and pounding on the table you know, who's at fault here? I'm going to fire them. You know, why haven't our sales go up? We've spent all this money on marketing and young little kid at the end of the, you know, he's like 21 years old, raises his hand at the end of the table and says, uh, uh, sir, I'm afraid the dogs don't like it. <laughs> and it didn't matter that they did all this marketing, that they had all these other skills. The single point of failure was that it was bad dog food. Yeah. Yep. The product was bad. So if your audio skills are bad, your product is bad. End of story. It's going to be a very long and difficult road for you, but that's beyond the scope of this podcast. There are plenty of resources out there related to learning and improving your audio skills, but it's worth mentioning that if you don't have this part down, that is a single point of failure that you have to get sorted out ASAP. Yep. But the next single point of failure and one that is not as obvious, one that we will cover more of and we have covered more of, and one that's more up our alley is the single point of failure related to marketing skills. We've talked about this idea a lot in the past. 
If you build it, they will come. It's a lie. All you need to do is build your studio and word will get out. And all you need to do is be passionate about your craft and they will come. Not true. At least for 99.9% of people. Just for curiosity, if someone wants to have a fun project one weekend, just go through all 37, 38 episodes of our podcast and cut out all the segments that Chris says that exact thing and paste it together and send it to me for fun. Because you say it all the time. It'll be seven minutes long. Yeah. There's a reason for that though. There's a reason you say this all the time and you've repeated yourself a hundred thousand times with this because it is such a misconception from so many people. And if you build it, they will not come. And if you don't understand how to market yourself as a studio, as a good studio, you'll struggle constantly. So this is a chain that is probably the weakest link in most amateur studios that are trying to become successful. They don't understand the marketing aspect of things specifically related to lead generation. I think that's the biggest area that people struggle is generating leads. What is lead generation, Chris, just to kind of define a term? Well, lead generation is finding people who might hire you. And I think a a good way to look at this is I'm a guitar player. I've been a guitar player for, you know, 25 years or so. If I want to play the guitar, I need my left hand and my right hand. I could play a little bit of guitar with just my right hand. I could play that one Metallica song. Yep. Or I could play, you know, um, there's an ACDC song you can play with just your left hand. Yeah, we all know that song. Yeah. So if you really want to play the guitar well, you need both hands. And audio skills and marketing skills are your right and left hand when you're running a business like this. Ooh, this is a new story from Chris and one I haven't heard and one that makes so much sense in my brain. I love that. It's a good analogy. If you have a great left hand, if you can do pull-offs and bends and all the nine, you know, all the million things you can do with your left hand, if you don't have a solid right hand, if you can't keep a beat, if you can't flat pick, if you can't play finger style, you know, whatever it happens to be, if you can't palm mute, if you can't do these right hand things, doesn't matter. You're severely limited in what you can do with your left hand without a right hand. And I also want to uh, keep playing on this guitar <laughs> analogy and just say that every style of guitar is different. If you're playing uh, country music, you probably don't need to know, know how to sweep pick. There's probably certain things that don't cross over. So depending on what genre you're in or depending on what your business model is, you may not need some things in marketing that other studios might need. It may not make sense to do paid advertising. It may make sense to do certain other things. It may not make sense to do cold outreach, but in some businesses it might. So we're not trying to do a catch-all prescription here, but we are talking about developing the skills that come natural to you and that will push your business and your genre and your niche forward in a way that is effective for you and not just something you saw someone else do. Totally. So yeah, the marketing thing, we're not going to go super deep into it because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but yeah, it's another thing. It goes hand in hand with sales. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Cause you can, you can generate all the leads in the world that you want. You can have a list of a thousand people that might hire you one day, but if no one hires you, <laughs> then it's worthless, right? So sales is a very important piece of the puzzle, I think. Yeah. So, and the last kind of piece here is social skills. You, you need to see your social skills as a skill. It's pretty much the most important skill you can have. It, it trumps marketing, it trumps sales, it trumps audio. Yeah, because this is a relationship business. And if you don't have the social skills to maintain those relationships, uh, you're going to constantly struggle. And one of the things that I've, I've talked about is it doesn't matter whether you're extroverted or introverted. I'm actually probably a little more introverted than extroverted, but that doesn't mean I don't have social skills. That doesn't mean you can't improve social skills, even if you're introverted. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, that just means if you gain energy from large groups of people or if you get energy sucked out of you. I tend to get energy sucked out of me from large groups of people or from being around people. I need time to recharge, but that has nothing to do with my social social skills. So don't let your introvertedness confuse you related to the term social skills. This is a, a skill that can be learned. It can be improved. It can be honed. And if you lack this, really, this is almost as important as the audio skills portion. It's like, if you were to put this in a hierarchy, I'd put audio skills and then I'd put social skills. Like those two are so important uh, for any small business, especially when we're relationships are so important in this world. Well, and here's the thing, marketing is a social skill. Sales is a social skill. Great customer service is a social skill. And it basically breaks down to one thing, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If you can't get outside of your own head and imagine what it would be like to interact with you in a recording studio, then you can't treat people the way that you would want to be treated. 
And if you can't do that, everything else is a moot point or a mute point. <laughs> oh, wah, wah, wah. Uh, so I think this is a good place to wrap this up. Let's kind of recap here because we talked about a lot of stuff today. And I think giving everyone kind of a quick overview and maybe a checklist of sorts of what is your single point of failure? What's the lowest hanging fruit on this list of things in these four categories? So first we have technical is your literal signal chain. The single point of failure. Is it your room and your acoustics? Is it maybe your workflow with your DAW or with your hotkeys? Is it your website? Maybe your website's ineffective and you need to work on it so it is actually generating leads for you. Or when we move on to discipline, the single points of failure related to discipline. Is it the discipline to self-educate? Is that your single biggest point of failure? Or maybe it's the discipline to rest or the discipline to say no to things you need to say no to. Because remember the opportunity cost involved with when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else every single time. Uh, or maybe it's tracking data is the single biggest point of failure. Uh, this For a lot of you, <laughs> this will probably be one because you're not tracking any data at all. And then when you have that one shitty month that comes up out of nowhere and surprises you, that won't happen if you track data properly. You track your numbers properly. You can start to predict things and you stop letting sales fall through the crack. Uh, and then finally, through discipline, it's the discipline of vices. The discipline really to stay away from vices that are detrimental to your life and your business. Third section here is character, uh, single points of failure related to your character, your personal character. So that would be maybe it's reputation. Maybe your reputation is holding you back and nothing else in this list matters until you get your reputation sorted. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you have so much pride that you can't get over yourself to mend those relationships that you've damaged or that you, you have too much pride in order to even look at inward at yourself and see what these single points of failure are. You think of yourself as a perfect being, which you're not, neither am I, neither is Chris. Or maybe your single point of failure in character is your laziness. Maybe you're not getting the things done you need to get done. Or it's failure of failure. You're not willing to put yourself out there in order to get rejected. Or maybe it's, you're an asshole. You're abrasive. Uh, this is one that I see a lot of people. This one I experienced myself. If your single biggest point of failure is your personality, uh, this is something you need to work on. Or maybe it's negativity. Maybe you're constantly negative. You're constantly bitching and people don't want to be around you. And then finally, with related to single points of failure around character, maybe you lack friends who are honest, who can help you see your blind spots. And then finally, the fourth and final section is single points of failure related to skills. So it could be your audio skills, which I'm not going to talk about that anymore. You know exactly what I'm talking about here. It could be your marketing skills. You can't get enough clients to maintain a full-time career. It could be that your sales, your ability to turn strangers into customers is lacking. Or finally, it could be social skills. You don't have the social skills necessary to maintain healthy relationships within this space. Those are all of the potential points of failure. There's a million more, but it's either technical, it's discipline, it's character, or it's skills. And all of these have different things that can be done to improve them, but it's up to you to look within yourself and know what it is that you need to work on because we can't do that for you. Yeah, so this is a good one. You know, I really feel strongly that my biggest fault is always related to blind spots. It's always related to me not seeing a single point of failure and be like, oh man, I've really blown it in this area of my life, or I've really, I really need to lock this down. And the thing that holds me back the most is wanting to believe that I don't have blind spots. It's wanting to believe that I'm fine, that I'm awesome. And, and, uh, that <laughs> you ego, are Chris. well, thank you. That ego and that desire to believe a false reality. That's the killer right there. You know, not being able to eat reality for breakfast without getting sick is that's the hardest thing. But if you can get that, if you can do that, then you can start to find your single points of failure. You can start to recover. You can start to improve. And it, you know, like we said earlier, it might be one of these things where you can have success or you can have one of these issues. You might not be able to have both. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Hopefully you liked that episode. Uh, just so you know, there's a resource that's been on the site for forever. It's been on our resources section for forever and it will continue to be there. But I want you to know that this exists just in case you listen to the podcast and you don't ever go to the website. Uh, this is actually a dedicated link at the top of the navigation bar and it's our assessment. It's the Six Figure Home Studio Assessment. 
And what this does is help you spot that single point of failure. Now, this doesn't go perfectly in line with the things we talked about today, but there is a hierarchy of things that I talk about. It's called the home studio hierarchy of needs. This assessment helps guide you through those seven levels and each of them can contain the weakest point of failure in your life or in your business that you need to focus on right now. So if you want to start that assessment, it's 100% free. It will always be free. It's always been free. You can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. I don't know why I chose that. It's just an assessment. But I guess if you can find what is your weakest link and you can solve that and you can uh, improve your business, then profit will be the result of that. I don't know. But uh, go take that assessment. Uh, let me know your thoughts on that. It's very detailed. It is a lot. It was a lot of work put into that. And I really hope that it opens up your eyes to what your biggest points of failure are in your business. And just a reminder, every Tuesday at 6am, a new episode comes out. So we will see you next week. Happy hustling and goodbye. Whoa.